0: Welcome to another episode of Acts of the Blood God, US Gamers' official RPG podcast. I'm your host, Cat Bailey. Joining me, as always, is my lovely co-host, Nadia Oxford.
1: Hello, Cat. I'm kind of sad we're not together this time. I know. Me too. That was a really good time sitting in that <laughs> little corner next to the hotel <laughs> door, uh, with me inside the ca- the the closet. Our little our little production corner. Yeah, I think it ended up going really well, though. It did actually. The sound quality came out shockingly well, all things considered. Extremely well.
0: We're recording this on a Tuesday. I've been home back in San Francisco for exactly one day. Uh, Nadia has to go to an event, and I'm going to be out of town next uh, next week. So as a consequence, uh, we're having to record this one a little bit early, but that's okay because there's a whole bunch of news to talk about.
1: There is. Uh, the news never stops. The fun never stops.
0: Well, we're going to talk about Jason Schreier's expose about Anthem over at Kotaku. We're going to talk a little bit about rumors of a new Naoki Yoshida directed Project for Square Enix. That could be Final Fantasy sixteen. Ooh. And we're going to wrap up PAX up a little bit. And we're going to talk about uh, the games that didn't make the top 25 RPG countdown, of which there are a few, a few mm-hmm. notable RPGs. And I think it's worth giving them their just due. As always, of Blood God is a U.S. Camera podcast. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, wherever podcasts are sold. If you're enjoying the podcast, please Make sure to rate it over on iTunes. It gives us a little boost, gives us some visibility, and plus, you know, it feels good to read good reviews. It makes it, uh, it makes the five hours or so I spend every Friday putting this dang thing together all worth <laughs> it. <Or laughs> please keep Cat alive. It. Yes, keep. please keep Cat alive. And if you enjoy the podcast, can I recommend subscribing to our newsletter, which comes out every Wednesday. It includes a little op-ed from Nadia and myself. Nadia, what did you write about last week?
1: Uh, I might have covered this the last time we we talked, so uh, uh, forgive me if I'm repeating myself, but I wrote about uh, basically how uh, the future the digital future that we have going on right now and how that affects the special feeling I got as a kid buying RPGs Um, so I mean of course I bought tons of games as a kid but something about buying RPGs was really special and it could be because number one, they were typically more expensive because memory cost a lot back then long live they were, like you were really buying into an experience, whereas like you know let's be honest uh, a lot of other games that were of that era could be returned after a weekend and uh, for another point, uh, I think that RPGs were much less likely to end up in the used bin so it wasn't you couldn't easily get Final Fantasy 3 uh, used back then is what I'm saying. I just missed the
0: feelies. like I, I missed the cloth maps and the source books and everything.
1: Oh yeah, those two.
0: yeah, and they came in those big old boxes. it was really cool. These days you get a lot of that stuff just through the ultra special super duper edition. Yeah. During our Pax one of our our PAX East Dreamcast panel where wherein we invited people to come play Soul Calibur and such with us, which by the way was a really fun panel. It was. Uh, um, we gave away like this gigantic Valkyria Chronicles for hardened edition. And I was like, Wow man, that's really cool, but it's for like ten the ten people who want that monstrosity in their house. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, until we until we gave it away, it was it served as our uh, as our uh microphone stand for a while there when we recorded last week.
0: Yes, its service will not be forgotten, Nadia. RIP. RIP. Okay, let's get to the news. Uh obviously, as I mentioned, as of re- today as of this recording, it will be several days ago by the time this podcast is out, but uh whatever. Uh mm-hmm. Jason Schreier's big exposé on Anthem is that came out and it was pretty much what we expected there were a few things that stood out uh, a lot of it was not that surprising uh, yeah seeing things like bioware is being severely hurt by the talent drain uh, that yes. is happening definitely not a surprise uh, other things like that uh, a few things that did stand out to me was uh, the <laughs> flying didn't get in- implemented until like 2017 which was a real shock to me because flying is yeah. so fundamental to the experience of that game
1: yeah, I was really surprised about that. I thought, like, you know, just flying was... Um, it sounds like at first, like, flying was a big part of this game. But, of course, the whole thing, uh, as uh, the development went on, it all kind of fell apart. And they had to take flying out uh, just to make the whole damn thing work. And then they put it back in to impress... Uh, I can't remember who they were impressing, a CEO at the time, just to kind of get the project, you know, going again. Uh There's some pretty crazy stories in there. As you say, there's a lot that's kind of... um you know, expected, but it's a very depressing read because it sounds like two major problems was there was just a lack of direction, just the talent drain and the, the lack of direction. Um, it's a, it is quite uh, depressing, especially since it sounds like they lost part of the talent or a lot of their talent because they're like, hey, you know, Frostbite Engine, you're going to be working on FIFA and, and Bioware can fend for itself for a while.
0: Yeah, because it turns out FIFA makes a lot of money. <laughs> a that lot is more. A, that a big surprise. I mean, things like they were calling in the te- central support for Frostbite and basically being backburnered because Battlefield and FIFA get uh, precedence over mm-hmm. the RPG catalog. And I actually was tweeting. I was like, I'd be really interested to know what the financials for, you know, a game like Skyrim would be versus a game like, say, FIFA and people were pointing out that it, maybe not necessarily the raw revenue, but just how much growth they get out of it year on year. Yes. And though yes. I've heard that Ultimate Team, this might be the first year that Ultimate Team actually uh, goes down rather than goes up, which Ooh. I'm sure is Scandal. not a great thing. Because everybody's still burned out on FIFA, you know. You can, only, you can only spend that much money on Ultimate Team for so long, right? And mm-hmm. their entire business model is increasingly about squeezing the whales, but I digress. When it comes to RPGs, yeah, maybe RPGs have a, a longer tail, but they're thinking quarterly. They're not thinking annual necessarily. Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah. So, uh, other things that stood out to me: uh, how the different,
1: how the different studios were feuding with one another. Yeah, there was a yes, there was a bit of a feud going on between uh, Bioware in Edmonton, Alberta, and Bioware in uh, where's the second uh, office? Is it Houston, Texas? Austin. Austin, Texas and uh the one that kind of shawl as well. That's right. And that one um got shuttered and I think they implemented uh, integrated those that staff into probably Edmonton. Uh, yeah. but it's uh kind of like guys, don't fight because up here uh you know just Edmonton is kind of considered or Calgary and, and uh, Alberta in general is considered like kind of the Texas of Canada and it's like you're fighting with Texas. This is this shouldn't be. Wait a minute, Texas fighting Texas. I I never even thought of that angle. <laughs> Eha. Heehaw.
0: Yeah, I thought it was very counterproductive to read very. stories. And maybe this isn't necessarily accurate, because obviously, even though you talked to like 20 people, you're still relying on the anecdotes and the perception of people. Mm-hmm. Um, but they were saying things like, oh, um, the general perception in Edmonton was that Austin was the B team or even the C team. Right, they didn't really get a say in how things were going and then so of course austin was being like well we got some ideas guys and we're pointing out some problems here yeah. with anthem and yeah. by the way we worked on star wars the old republic you may have heard of it it's this mmorpg and you're making the same mistakes that we've
1: been. oh yeah. god no, no. no they're not listening oh, they shut us out oh they're Why not answering they our calls to help but uh, guys we have experience with this thing It is very, very sad. I feel like, again, that's the lack of leadership coming into play, because there there should have been someone, and there was someone at the very last second, to wrangle everyone and say, okay, here's the direction, here's where we're going. But by then, it was practically too late.
0: I mean, obviously, we're Monday morning quarterbacking this on information that we're hearing through journalisming, which it sounds, it paints a pretty accurate picture. It's hard to know what was exactly going through the minds of the leadership there, but... When you hear reports that one studio is looking down on another, uh, I mean that's a big problem, right?
1: Oh, absolutely. Um, it is probably uh, a, a problem in general with a lot of game studios that are, you know, rely, rely more and more on telecommuting. Yeah, and then there are stories like.
0: They didn't want to do another Mass Effect or Dragon Age with the big villains and all of that stuff. Yeah. And then once Dragon Age Inquisition finished, they brought in one of the writers, uh, David Gator, I believe. Yeah, it was And he came up with kind of what the Anthem story is now with the, you know, the evil doctor villain and that kind of thing. And I was like, what the hell is this? (laughs) It's interesting to hear what the original concept was. This idea of it was originally going to be called Beyond rather than Anthem. But they couldn't secure the, I guess, the copyright uh, with that name. so Yeah, it sounds going like the with copyright was too expensive. And the idea of Beyond was that you were inside a, you know, an, a fort or something on a hostile planet. And you were uh-huh. venturing out and fighting these giant monsters. And they were comparing it to things like Shadow of the Colossus. And one of their proof of concepts was you'd go with your friends into this volcano, you know, fight a big monster, whatever, come back. And the idea is you've got the hub. You're venturing Mm -hmm. out from the space space into this extremely hostile planet. And how long can you survive, right? Yeah, it's just kind of neat. Yeah, it's not a bad idea. uh, But they couldn't figure out how to make it work in the context of an online seamless kind of experience where tons of people are running around. Maybe that was their first mistake was trying to turn it into a full-blown huge online experience. Maybe they – and again, this is just Monday morning quarterbacking and everything – Maybe they should have been thinking more in the mindset of this is a solo experience, but with very strong co-op, right? Like Monster, like Monster Hunter World. Not even Monster Hunter, because you see people in the world of Monster Hunter all the time, right? But though, I I suppose in Monster Hunter, you have the big hub with all the people in it, and then once you head into the
1: world, you're more or less alone. You are. Yeah, it's a very kind of lonely sort of place. Although not really, like you know, in a bad way.
0: Yeah, but then you can summon in people to help you. Yes. So I could totally see a situation in which you have a hub similar to that of Destiny. And then when you go venture out into the world, you can choose to go with public groups or with your friends. Yes. And then you're venturing out and and you're kind of in your own shard.
1: Yeah, it uh, probably doesn't help that uh, EA told them, do not say the word Destiny. Don't don't even suggest this is like Destiny. It's nothing like Destiny, guys.
0: Uh, I'm, I'm not sure if it was the leadership or EA itself, but yeah, they definitely were not talking about Destiny. They were ignoring Destiny. It's like, don't be Destiny, which I guess is fine in the context of we don't want to just rehash everything that they're right. doing.
1: But as they were pointing out, they are the market leader. <laughs> they, they kind of are. And uh, a, a lot of people, a lot of comparisons I saw that were brought up to that statement is how like, uh, for example, Nintendo during the Wii U, uh, you know, problematic, problematic era, there it's like uh, they had just or they pretended to just have no idea what was going on, like about like what Microsoft was doing, what PlayStation was doing. They were just kind of pretending to be above it all, and and they weren't. These are things that work uh, for a reason. Give them a look. Uh, I heard something also about uh, the original uh, director for Final Fantasy XIV never playing World of Warcraft. I didn't know that. Yeah. Well, I mean, I don't think World of Warcraft is that big in Japan. <laughs> That, that's true. That's totally fair. But it like it's uh, there was definitely that split between East and West that didn't really help out anyone in the end. No, I don't think so. So uh, what do you think all of this means for Bioware? Um, I hope they're OK. Uh, there's I mean, there are one thing I took away from the, the piece as well is that there are uh, a lot of people abandoning ship for uh, an independent studio that uh, one of the uh, creators founded. So, um, yeah, uh, I just see more people kind of leaving ch- jumping ship to go indie. I see just more people leaving in general. Uh, I don't know what this means for the next Dragon age, if anything. A few
0: things that stand out to me. One is, I thought it was interesting that they categorized Mass Effect as the enterprise in which it yes. was very focused. everybody at their stations. Casey Hudson is in charge versus Dragon Age, which they called a pirate ship. A pirate (laughs) ship going from port to port. Yeah, going around port to port, drunkenly going yo-ho-ho. And another thing that stood out to me was talking about Bioware magic. Yes. This idea of how they were always crunching, always crunching, always crunching, but somehow it always came out okay. The and sticky metaphor. And the worst thing that could happen to them was that Dragon Age Inquisition was critically acclaimed because they were like, this is totally unsustainable.
1: Yeah, that was like, that's a very, very worrying statement right there.
0: So, yeah, apparently Anthem has been moved over to Bioware Austin, which should be interesting because Star Wars The Old Republic uh, has virtually no resources over there. Yeah. And I'm sure they'll do a competent job stewarding it. I don't know if they will do a competent job building, continuing to build new content and that game needs a complete overhaul. And Bioware seems confident that they can overhaul it and fix it. But mm-hmm. I don't know. You know they they need a, a Diablo Loot Point Two type overhaul, or yeah, a, they really do, or a you know Taking King type overhaul to really fix a lot of the very fundamental problems that that game has. I mean, it's things like they were talking about how Destiny in Destiny every game feels different and good, mm-hmm. and That was always, like, one of the very strongest points of Destiny and why people stuck with it for so long. Yeah. And subsequently, but BioWare didn't really know how to do that. They didn't have the expertise because they're a bunch of RPG nerds, right? Right. So, and and then the other problem is, and they're kind of wondering is, you know, they're all heading on to Dragon Age 4 now. See how that goes. I haven't really seen a Dragon Age game that's truly that amazing. I like Dragon Age Inquisition, okay. But a lot of the people who... We're super you know involved with dragon age. they're
1: long gone, yeah, exactly, and yeah. Uh, it also matters a lot how much EA wants to invest in the post in anthems post game and uh versus just kind of trashing the whole thing and I guess we'll see yeah, I guess
0: we'll see, in the meantime they're building Dragon Age on the code base of Anthem, so that should be interesting,
1: yeah, um oh, heck anything that has me flying around, you're like, hey, let me fly, <laughs> fly in a fly in a dragon." i bet anything right, that you'll be... I'll, I'll bet anything
0: that's going to be like a Witcher-type game, where it's like a single-player action game. You're a person with a sword.
1: Yeah, I'm, I guess so. But, you know, if you got this, like, ability to fly, it'd be a shame if they didn't use it. I, why are you so hung up on flying? Well, who, who wouldn't be hung up
0: on flying, Cat? Not me. I don't care. <laughs> I like flying. I guess it's okay. Like, I know that flying around on a dragon would be pretty cool. I, that would be, be a awesome. good... That would be a good sting to a trailer where yes. you see the name Dragon Age, right? And uh-huh. then you, the final shot of the trailer is the main character clambering up onto a dragon and then taking off and flying away. And it yeah. goes, <laughs>
1: 2020. And it's not going to be 2020. It's going to be Hell 2022. No. I was going to say 2022. 2023. And then four, five, Sure, not going to be this year. Dragon Hell four. no.
0: Because they got a lot of work to do Because they are staffing up from a skeleton crew And they haven't, as far as I can tell They haven't even started production yet So that's still going to go through pre-production But okay, so anyway, that's Anthem That's a game that we've talked about to death And yeah, well the problems are well cataloged Uh, A lot of what Schreier reported um, You know, kind of not surprising at all Other stuff, uh, even, maybe even a little worse than we thought Let's talk about more exciting news a game that was saved, Final Fantasy XIV, in large part because of Naoki Yoshida and his team. Uh, I have heard rumors for some time now that Yoshida is potentially working on Final Fantasy XVI. These are all mm-hmm. secondhand rumors. These are not like primary source rumors, which is why we haven't written about it. But yeah, that is that's the word on the street: is that Yoshida is working on Final Fantasy XVI, and. Uh, here we come. Uh, we find out that he is working on a next generation key
1: franchise. Yeah. And it sure
0: sounds like Final Fantasy 16 to me. All
1: uh, right. That is a, a very real possibility. I just yelled out Chrono Trigger, but that's more for like, you know, shits and giggles. Um, <laughs> you brought up an interesting point, I think, in Slack earlier today, which was like, what if it's, you know, another Final Fantasy 14 style MMO? And I'd, I'd rather it wouldn't be. Me too. I, in fact, yeah. I would be extremely
0: disappointed if it were another MMO.
1: Yeah, I think a lot of people would because, uh, I mean, there's I still think there's a lot of legs left in Final Fantasy XIV. I thing. do. I do. And I would be
0: annoyed if they just decided that they are going to start all over and ask everybody to buy into a whole new subscription. I mean, I, you you got to figure that Final Fantasy XIV has at least one more major expansion in it, right?
1: Oh, at least, yes. Easily. Yeah. I wonder how much it's paying the bills over there. Uh, you know what? If they're still getting people to sign up for subscriptions, and uh, we both saw at PAX that they are pushing it hard, um, it's it's probably doing quite fine. Uh, there's not too many MMOs out there that can ask for a subscription base. Uh, even uh, Elder Scrolls Online couldn't really handle that. So if people are still paying, I'm sure they're, they're doing okay. So the things that we know
0: about Yoshida, he's kind of a young Turk over at Square Enix. He built up a lot of credibility when he... Uh, took over Final Fantasy XIV and saved it. Mm-hmm. He is uh, very media-friendly, and we've done a lot of interviews with him over the years. Yes. Uh, he's known for being a huge Final Fantasy VII fan uh-huh. and really into Final Fantasy's lore in general. Uh, yes, as as fourteen attests to. Yes, but he's specifically referenced Final Fantasy VII the times that I've interviewed him. So
1: <laughs> He's also a big World of Warcraft fan, for what oh, it's well, worth. Oh, that's, that's good. See, there yeah. you go. We, we do have Japanese people who love World of Warcraft.
0: Yes, he is a key example of a Japanese person who loves World of Warcraft. As far
1: as I can tell, like, the
0: content, he's able to turn out a lot of content, and he's able to do it in a relatively timely fashion. Uh, it looks good. Like, yes. The, the guy, the man and his team have kind of worked miracles, so if you give him the resources, I imagine that whatever he creates is going to be really good. And... Yeah. Given his experience, I have to believe it's going to be online-focused. I don't like that, but we'll see.
1: Yeah, I was kind of wondering that myself. Um, I do wonder how that's going to work. And I'm also wondering when we'll finally get some kind of confirmation one way or the other. Um, it'd be nice if we could get an announcement at E3, but I guess I don't see that happening. Oh, I,
0: that would be really early,
1: wouldn't it? I mean, it's, I suppose well, it's been a couple years. About
0: <laughs> it's been a couple years.
1: Yeah, yeah. yeah. But with... Uh, Square's uh, MO fin-
0: is usually to announce something at the beginning of a generation.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's true. Final that's Fantasy,
0: true. see, Final Fantasy 13 was announced at the beginning like at the announcement of the PS3, right?
1: Oh shit. God, was it that it long was, ago? It was 2006.
0: Yeah, yeah. That was when they unveiled it along with Versus 13, and we all know how that went. Boy, then, oh boy. And then Never. Final Fantasy 15, I believe, was officially confirmed at the in 2014 mm-hmm. at the beginning of the current generation, maybe even at that particular E3, along with Kingdom Hearts 3. Right. So, it makes a lot of sense to me. I, who knows? Maybe Square will come out during Microsoft's big next-gen
1: reveal, this E3, and show us stuff. Exclusive. Final Fantasy 16, exclusive to Xbox whatever. Oh, oh dear.
0: That's never going to
1: happen. That's never going to happen, but it'd be hilarious.
0: Yeah, they're barely even putting things on the Xbox as it speaks because the Xbox is such a dead letter over in Japan still.
1: Oh, uh, it, it always has been, hasn't it? Has it ever even come close to ever garnering any kind of an audience over there?
0: The people who play Xbox over in Japan are usually <laughs> kind of more into western games in general. Uh-huh. And that makes them a very niche audience.
1: Right. Like God bless them for for going for it. They do exist. They do I, I'm sure they do and they're very I'd like to talk to one sometime. But they're I'm like sure playing Halo
0: in Japanese. You know,
1: they're not. Right. The, I know that j,
0: j, uh, Microsoft made a huge push to try and capture Japan in 2005, you know, with the yeah, Xbox with, like, 360. Yeah, Blue Dragon. Blue Dragon, Tales of Vesperia, that sort of thing. But yeah. uh, that didn't work out. And then they ultimately, all those games ultimately came out on the PS3. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> so uh, as for what Yoshida's working on, we can only speculate. This is what yeah. I will tell you that I wish Final Fantasy 16 would look like, Nadia. Mm-hmm. I wish that they would go back to basics and do a classically turn-based Final Fantasy with a job system that it but has modern graphics.
1: Yeah, I would actually love that very very much. I would be I would I would dig that pretty hard.
0: I would like them to get back to the roots. I would like them I, I think that I don't think that turn-based gameplay is completely incompatible with Uh, triple-A blockbuster kind of gameplay. No. And I think that executives need to break out of the conventional wisdom and try something. I really wish that they had stuck with the turn-based gameplay in Final Fantasy VII Remake. And I can't begin to express to you how much it bums me out that they turned it into an action RPG. And it was inevitable, but the mindset at Square Enix seems to be that... Uh, turn-based gameplay is just not mainstream and that everything they do has to be action-oriented, and that sucks.
1: Yeah, uh, I I am a little disappointed in that. Um, although I think Crisis Core was kind of more action-based and that was a great game, but... Uh, I didn't say yeah. action games are necessarily bad.
0: True. And action that's games more can be very good. Like Witcher 3, it's the number three on this freaking RPG <laughs> list. But I... Like turn-based games, and so I think I, huh? Final Fantasy has gone down this bizarre rabbit hole of trying to translate these elaborate systems into action gameplay, and that's how we ended up with
1: Final Fantasy 15, a very weird game. Yeah, it's a, it's a weird game, all right. Uh, has when was the last time we had a like a kind of a turn-based system in Final 13. Fantasy? Was it, 13? Yep, I never played 13, so I don't. I didn't know they even had a turn-based system. You didn't play 13? I didn't play 13 at all. You didn't as much. I was just like, yeet, nope.
0: Yeah, no, 13 was the last really serious uh, term based system. And then they modified it for thirteen two, And then mm-hmm. Lightning Returns, they modified it even more into kind of this weird kind of... It, it was still term based if I recall correctly, but it was one-on-one because Lightning was your primary character. It was right. pretty cool, actually. Yeah, I really liked the battle system in that one. I think uh, un- Lightning Returns is criminally underrated. <laughs>
1: Yeah, uh, you're not the only one to say that. A lot of people seem to really like lightning's re- Lightning Returns, but I think as we've discussed here uh, before, it probably didn't start out as a Final Fantasy 13 game? Maybe?
0: I mean, the rumor was that Trias was working on Valkyrie Profile, and then it got oh. turned
1: into Lightning Returns. I am so sorry, Kat.
0: And I gotta say, like, if that if you had just replaced uh, Lightning with ven- Lenith uh-huh. and put her in that world with that kind of system and that kind of gameplay, oh my god, I would
1: have loved that. Oh, that—that's a bit of a heartbreaker for you. I'm sorry.
0: It's fine. I got a
1: really kick-ass Final Fantasy game out of it. Yeah, I thought Lightning go. Returns was great. I should probably give it a try since I hear it's not at all connected to 13. It's just Lightning has to be in it.
0: Yeah, no, no, it's kind of connected, but it's so weird by this point because uh-huh. 13 has its own very particular story, right? Right. That stands alone. You don't need the other games that come after it, and then it right. just really goes off off the rails with 13, two, and Lightning Returns, like. You wouldn't even believe, in ways that you wouldn't even believe. <laughs> By thir- lightning returns, you're like, what is even happening in this story anymore? <laughs> that sounds very squarish.
1: Yes. So, what are your hopes and dreams for Final Fantasy Sixteen, Nadia? Uh, I very much like what you just described to me. I would like a good surprise, old... Surprise, surprise. <laughs> a nice menu base. I mean, I really love the hell out of Dragon Quest Eleven, and that's as menu base as it gets. Dang it's right. all about, like, if it's a good experience... And you absolutely can have a good experience with a menu-based game.
0: I'm sure Square would just be like, look,
1: if you want menu-based, just play freaking Dragon Quest. Well, yeah, Square, but I also want a Final Fantasy that's menu-based because that's a Final Fantasy that I grew up with. And it's a very different
0: thing, right? Because Dragon it Quest is has always stuck to the same battle system, whereas Final right. Fantasy has always kind of taken the battle systems that it had and really innovated on them in really interesting ways i mean final fantasy 8 is one of the Ur examples right final fantasy 10 yeah. was awesome yeah in, from a battle system standpoint it was a little easy <laughs> <laughs> yeah it was, it was a little easy but i loved the ability to swap in characters on the fly it had a fast paced feel to it uh it, it was enjoyable and of course the job system is beyond reproach i, I think they can do a lot with the uh with a turn-based system so oh uh, we'll see though we'll see i suppose yeah okay Last thing, we got back from PAX East. Um, By the Mm. way, our company is owned by PAX East, so we're contractually obligated to talk about it, I guess. Uh, Nadia, what did you see that was RPG-related at uh, PAX East?
1: Well, uh, I can't talk too much about it because of uh, Embargo, but I did see Indivisible.
0: Okay, so you saw
1: Indivisible. I saw
0: SteamWorld Quest.
1: Yes, I'm jealous. I never got a chance to go play it.
0: It's going to be at the end of April. I think that game is looking really good.
1: Yeah, here's a big surprise. Like it, it, Everything that they have done with the SteamWorld universe has been just fantastic, even to completely different genres. Like They just seem to nail it every time. Oh, look, another turn-based game that's looking ah. really good.
0: Whoa, whoa, uh, whoa. Uh,
1: look over here, Square. Yeah, this one has cards in
0: it, but I wouldn't necessarily call it a card game. Uh, there are right. some drawing mechanics and that sort of thing. But what it really comes down to is you have different skills that you can... Use depending on the cards that you end up drawing you can discard cards uh with each turn but what you're trying to get is uh some synergy with your team you the way that you choose each individual team character skill set is by coming up with a particular deck it reminds me mm-hmm. a little bit of slay the spire actually which is right, a right really neat game for steam uh the graphics are awesome the of course uh the 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 writing is uh top class, and this game really punishes you if you don't use this, use the systems properly. I feel like they were trolling me a little bit, nadia or they do you think so? yeah, I think they were trolling me in the sense that uh they put me into a later boss battle oh. and I don't think they really did a good job of optimizing the deck, and so I got killed. <laughs> because the deck that they had was very offense-focused and just did not have nearly enough support spells or buffs right. or anything like that. And as a consequence, I just got steamrolled. Like, I had no real way to heal myself. And I'm like, you're trolling me.
1: <laughs> Steam- steamrolled and Steamworld. What a world. <laughs> <laughs> I want them to make Steamworld Heist 2 because, oh my god. That I was that such game. a great... I would love to see Steamworld Heist 2. Um, they did a Steamworld Dig 2 and that was, that was fantastic.
0: Yeah, SteamWorld Quest seems like a perfect fit for the Nintendo Switch, and as it is a launch exclusive for the Nintendo Switch, that's great. It'll be out on frickin' everything at a certain point. It'll be out. Oh, absolutely! Yeah, it'll uh, be on your phone. It'll be on everything. So, but if you've never played SteamWorld Heist, I I strongly recommend it. It's really good. Oh, also, I talked to the Outer Worlds folks, and by the time you uh, listen to this podcast, my interview with them will be up. I got a really long article in the works right now about
1: it. That's. Uh, i'm sure everyone's going to be eager to read that one because that's a uh that's a that's a big game.
0: Yeah, i'm looking forward to it. Uh, i got to talk to like four of the developers including Tim Kane and Leonard Boyarski. Tim Kane's a really a long... cool dude. Uh Tim Kane, he uh he was creator of Fallout and Oh, cool. Yeah, and he he's been in the industry a long time and often uh-huh. you see one of two things from developers who are still in the business. Either they're extremely burned out and cynical. <laughs> yes. And they don't care and they're just trying to make money. Or they still really love games. And Tim Kane right. I think, is in the latter category. Like, he's Those just, are always
1: fun interviews.
0: Yeah, he's just into it, you know. Yes. And so it was fun to talk about. Uh, he and Leonard Boyarski have a really good rapport going back and forth. And once, once they got going, uh, it was fun to listen to them talk about all the different mechanics and everything. So as That's for cool. Outer Worlds itself, I mean, it's looking good. Uh, I think that fans should temper their expectations just a tiny bit because, I mean, the team acknowledges themselves that it's a lower-budget game that they, oh, a lot has of people to be. probably imagine. So you're not yeah. g- probably
1: not going to get a Skyrim-level experience out of this. But it could be really cool. Yeah, probably. And uh, th- that reminds me, I actually got to play Dragon Quest Builders too. Oh, yeah, what would you think? I really enjoyed it. Uh, One thing I wrote about on our site, and you can see it, is uh, one major thing they improved was uh, uh, there's no chapter. It's not a chapter-based game anymore. It used to be that you would finish a chapter, and you would lose all your items, you know, weapons, building material, name it, and you'd have to start all over again. And they, they got rid of that for Dragon Quest Builders 2. Uh, as far as I know, you can keep uh, most, if not all, of your stuff as you travel from island to island. And that's how you, you kind of restore the world now, as you are sailing around the world and, and restoring these islands. And uh, so I'm I'm really looking forward to it. It looks like there's a lot more going on. Like, your NPCs can, can help you farm. They can help you fight. Uh, the, the AI seems much improved, like I said in my preview in the first game. Mostly they just kind of gotten your way and didn't do much else uh yeah so uh that's coming out on july the 12th i believe um one thing i will say though is that there was a a little bit of hiccup with the switch version that i don't think was present on the ps4 version but i'm probably still gonna go with the switch version anyway
0: uh i think that the nintendo switch version is probably the best way to play this in my opinion it really is yeah yeah so Because, because i oh go on sorry i wonder how many people have double dipped with a ps4 and a nintendo switch Me. I mean, yeah, but you work in this business.
1: (laughs) Yeah, that's true.
0: I mean, you have an Xbox too, right? Yes, I do. Yeah, an Xbox as well, I suppose. Yeah, so, I mean, but I'm I'm thinking about people who are outside of the the games business. I'd be curious Mm -hmm. to know how many just own a Nintendo Switch and don't own any of the other next-gen consoles. I imagine a lot of people have a PS4 already because, you know, the PS4 has a lot of penetration and a very yeah. different experience and the and the switch can kind of augment that experience but
1: yeah um i mean like for example my my younger brother he does not have a ps4 but he does have a switch and that's m- mostly because like he bought the switch for his kids but then he discovered oh hey i love this thing too but he doesn't really have time to go around playing a whole bunch of uh, game systems right so yeah the upshot of all of
0: that is basically i think people are going to buy a version for the system that they
1: have <laughs> Exactly, yeah, and well, a lot of people have the Switch, and um, even like, okay, I have my choice between the PS4 and uh, Switch version of Dragon Quest Builders 2, and I know that even if the graphics aren't absolutely perfect on the Switch, I'm probably going to go with it anyway, because I played the original Dragon Quest Builders on the Switch, and I played it on the PlayStation 4, and just, it is a very, very good handheld experience. Talk me into Dragon Quest Builders 2. Um, do you like Minecraft? No, I hate it. <laughs> well, here's your problem, cat. <laughs> well, I mean... One thing I love about Dragon Quest Builders, and it's the same with two as well, is that yes, it is Minecrafty, but you do have that focus of a story. You have that focus of a quest that you need of the of these ends that you need to meet. Uh, for myself, who is a kind of a story nerd in, in terms of Dragon Quest, you have that fallen hero timeline, which which continues in Dragon Quest Builders two as well, and I find that really interesting and really fascinating uh as someone who like you know kind of made that choice to join the dragon lord as a kid and it regretted it because it crashes your game and it's terrifying uh but if you don't like the idea of kind of building up a world and like restoring it and with a dragon quest sort of uh theme to it even though there is like some really good fighting mechanics at work i don't know if i could say oh oh you will absolutely love this you know what i mean yeah i i get what you're saying i i think
0: that the Dragon Quest theme is almost enough to talk me into it, but. Yeah. Uh, and I do oh, like great. building stuff. I like customizing forts and everything, so.
1: You might like this, then.
0: I might like this. It uh, depends on whether or not I have time to play it. Especially because it Fire Emblem Heroes,
1: I think, is coming out this summer. Uh, Fire Emblem Heroes or Fire Emblem? Fire uh, Three
0: Houses, you know, the other three,
1: one. <laughs> three Heroes. Uh, yeah. Oh, shit, that's right. That's a uh, weird-looking a, game. It is. I'm, I'm very much looking forward to seeing what the hell it is, though. I'm going gonna, I'm I'm gonna, to like, play the shit of that i didn't realize that team ninja was involved oh shit are they really yeah my understanding is
0: that team ninja is involved with fire emblem three houses and uh, uh, we'll see how that goes because i they did an okay job with neo and they also did a good job with um what was that other game oh dynasty warriors uh fire the dragon quest fire emblem uh
1: the fire emblem warriors thing yeah that they worked on that yeah so there you go i mean i can't really foresee nintendo saying you hey guys go ahead and, and release something subpar we'll be totally okay with you screwing up our one of our biggest cash cows well, why is an action developer working on this i don't know i don't like that <laughs> well, maybe they your want, action they maybe. on my
0: turn-based tactics
1: i'm sorry cat it's okay i'll play I'll, Fire I'll, Emblem. i'll have a discussion with them you should nadia i'll, I'll have a, tra- Kick I'll have down a chat down the door yeah, i will
0: I have Fire Emblem Heroes on my phone, though. I can play that into eternity.
1: Well, there's, there you go. Yeah, when we first heard about Fire Emblem Heroes, you like were swearing up and down how it was going to be the worst thing ever, and now it's like did your I? life. You did. You hated the whole idea of Fire Emblem Heroes. I was like, oh, you know, maybe it'll be okay. Free to play. Fine. Whatever. I can accept what it is. But you were very angry about it. It's fine. <laughs> I don't, <laughs> think, it's, I don't think it's a good game. <laughs> we don't know, but it's not like, you know, like you're just like have a religion against it or anything. Shout out to Christian Nutt, who works on that game. (laughs) Does he seriously? Yeah, he does.
0: Um, That's hilarious. So anyway, okay. Uh, Yeah, let's continue on to the next section, and let's wrap up the Top 25 RPG countdown and talk a little bit about the RPGs that didn't make the list uh, but still deserve to be mentioned. Okay, Nadia, the Top 25 RPG countdown is complete. You can find all of them by checking out on the site. We've got write-ups for all of them and everything. It's really neat. Uh, Man, that was a really exhausting uh, thing to do.
1: Uh, I'm sure it was. You did the bulk of the work, but it it exhausted me, so it must have exhausted you ten times as much.
0: I sure did do the bulk of the work, but...
1: (laughs) I talked. Yeah, you you did talk, and you did uh, lend a
0: lot of interesting ideas and... Thanks a lot to people like David Craddock and Matt uh, Matthew Allen and all of the other people who came on the show uh, to talk about it. Jason Wilson, J- Rowan Kaiser, uh, as Shane Bentonhausen, etc. It was an interesting experience to put together the list. Putting together a mm-hmm. good list is really hard.
1: Yeah, it, it kind of is, isn't it? Yeah,
0: because you often... It's so arbitrary in so many ways. It's like going, okay... Uh, is Fantasy Star Four better than you know Lunar or Ultima Underworld or Undertale? Uh-huh. Yeah, <laughs> I just sure. gotta try to establish some metrics and hope that it kind of goes. And I was kind of looking for you know games that have really held up and stood the test of time and still offer something to the RPG space and right. are you know really just great on their own uh, on their own you know and that that I can recommend to people. So. And also, I didn't want to put Skyrim on it. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, Skyrim's not on this list. But we did have Morrowind and Fallout New Vegas. So people who like open world RPGs, like I would recommend those two games over Skyrim anyway.
1: Uh, I guess so. I'm. Um, I haven't played Morrowind myself, so I have to like you know. I'd uh, have to decide, but uh, Fallout. I've always just kind of preferred the whole medieval. Uh, themes of skyrim to like any you know the the sci-fi themes of like fallout but that's just personal preference i like
0: skyrim a lot actually and i still play it from time to time i have a character that i liked i liked being able to mod the living heck out of it Mm -hmm. i just think that the other games are better so uh so yeah there's some of the other games that did not ultimately make this list uh, a, a big one, and we were just talking about Bioware earlier, but a big one is uh, Dragon Age. Yeah. Did you ever play any of the Dragon Age games, Nadia? Uh,
1: I played the first one for part of the way through, and I just kind of... I, I eventually bounced. I kind of liked it, but I was just... Uh, I just couldn't really get that invested in it. How far did you get? Oh, I don't remember. It was a very long time ago. Uh, I do remember there was a dog, and the dog was good.
0: Oh, yeah, the dog. That was a character, wasn't it?
1: Yeah, it belonged to... What was his name? Alistair, the i can't remember what the uh, yeah
0: alistair wow you remember the name um
1: yeah well he was kind of neat he was funny
0: yeah he was fun i liked him and uh, yeah the, the the problem with the dog if i recall correctly was that he didn't fit very well into the party <laughs> <laughs> yeah he was
1: kind of hard to use <laughs> he was very hard to use i discovered that very quickly but i kind of wanted to use him because he was a dog
0: magic was really op in that game was it really yeah. i don't think
1: i used it very much
0: yeah, the thing that makes me sad is that Dragon Age Origins was kind of the last gasp of the classic isometric RPG. Uh, turn-based, sort of turn-based, like semi-turn-based, because uh-huh. you could pause the game, set up all of your abilities, and then let them go. Right. It was kind of the last ba- gasp of that in the blockbuster game space. Uh-huh. Like, it's hard to imagine a game being like that in the blockbuster world. And I know I just... Was advocating for turn based games, but I'm thinking more in terms of, you know, Japanese games, right? Right. Uh, I mean, we have isometric RPGs, but they're by and large considered to be pretty niche propositions. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, So, but when it comes to Dragon Age Inquisition or Dragon Age Origins, I I think that's the best of them.
1: (laughs) I guess so, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm sure some will argue with you, but uh, that's what we got now.
0: Yeah. I mean, Dragon Age 2. Had, I mean, the final act of Dragon Age 2 was just a complete disaster. Uh, <laughs> uh, it was Ouch. horrible. It was not great. It was it was interesting up until that point. And then they had this was whole it, idea uh, of being in a city and watching as it changes over 10 years, but they didn't really do a great job of executing oh, on it. Oh,
1: I see. I was going to ask you, what, what happened? Did the story fall apart? Did the gameplay fall apart? Well, the idea is that it
0: just has a long period of time where, you know, you have time skips and that kind of thing. Right. Uh, and so you get to see the consequences of your actions a little more. And mm-hmm. what it really came down to was cut and paste dungeons. And I, I, I hear Dragon, Rowan Kaiser like yelling into the sky and being like, <laughs> oh, no, you totally misunderstood <laughs> Dragon Age 2, but he's like one of the few that's like really willing to defend that game. Right. Uh, Dragon Age Inquisition I liked uh, a lot, actually, but you know, back when I reviewed it and I gave it a very good review, I, I think that a lot of the complaints about the fetch quests are certainly valid. I hate fetch quests. Uh-huh. Yeah. But also that stuff was all optional.
1: That's true, yeah.
0: And if it's all optional, it's hard for me to be like, mm-hmm. okay, yeah, deserves criticism for sure, but as long if it's as long as it's not mandatory, I don't care. You yeah, don't so- have to go collect every single berry or whatever.
1: <laughs> but berry picking is fun. No, it's not. Not no. really. No. It's pretty terrible. I wouldn't go again.
0: The thing that I liked the most about Dragon Age Inquisition was going into a new area and having the map being completely dark and then as you go it slowly but surely expands outward and often the areas were extremely beautiful and yeah. you would find one major interesting quest to undertake and that kind of turned into that little storyline for that particular area.
1: Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, because I I do like filling out maps in big open world games. I think that's a lot of fun, and I do like the idea of it. Kind of like having the uh, uh, our own little pockets of narrative. I thought the romance was handled really well,
0: and I thought, and I really liked that some of the sub quests. Um, I like how they resolved the. Uh, I can't remember the Gray Wardens. Yeah, that there it is. Mm-hmm. I like I liked the what they did with the Gray Wardens. That that was a really cool and epic quest. I really liked the, the mask ball that they did. I liked a lot of the characters, um, the especially the Reliesian characters. And mm-hmm. uh, yeah, no, it was it was a good game ultimately. I think people complained a lot about the, the battle system and the fetch quests and that kind of overwhelmed the narrative around it. Uh, I wouldn't say it's the best RPG ever made, but... Well, that's why it's on this list instead of the other one. Yeah, I didn't hate it. Uh, if I were to recommend a single Dragon Age game to anybody, it would definitely be Origins because it's been around long enough. It's kind of more in that classical vein. You can play it on PC, and you can probably play it on most everything at this point. Uh Uh, There are a lot of interesting origin stories to kind of undertake, a pretty solid party system. Uh, Battle system's a lot of fun. Tons of quests to undertake. Yeah, it's a a rock-solid classical RPG. It doesn't rise to the level of, say... You know, a lot of the other RPGs on this list, uh,
1: like Baldur's Gate 2, but that, uh-huh. so it goes, right? <laughs> exactly. That's uh, It's a, it's a good uh, starter for this list, I guess. Uh, one that you threw out, Nadia, was Undertale. Yes. Uh, Undertale is an interesting example because it's not an old game. Like, how many years would has it been? Maybe a few by now. I think it came out in 2016? Uh, I think October. it came out in 2015, actually. Oh, God. I'm getting it's too old. It's been a while. Uh, yeah, I guess so. Um, I guess one reason why uh, Undertale resonates with me, uh, besides the fact that you have these three very interesting narratives, uh, uh, narrative choices that you make, and uh, they all kind of come together to tell their full story, uh, is just uh, so many games since Earthbound has been a thing have tried to be Earthbound, and so few games have managed to do it. And I feel like Undertale really captured the heart of what Earthbound is about without trying too hard to be like, you know, all like wacky and goofy. It's certainly wacky and goofy at times, but it's also, uh, it's very, very much its own thing. Uh, it, it also, uh, plays around a little bit with, uh, you know, your save files and stuff like that. And that kind of stuff, I always appreciate it. It screws me up a bit, but I always love it. It has a fantastic soundtrack. Uh, Toby Fox as a composer is just magnificent. Uh, yeah, I, um it's funny because it's uh, some people say oh should i play it and it is one of those games where i can't guarantee you'll love it you'll either just fall in love with it or say or say i don't know what the deal is here but for god like 10 bucks you really really can't go wrong
0: one of the defining games of the generation i want to say along with like witcher 3 and that kind of thing when i was at pax east uh i was looking at the merch that you could buy at fan gamer uh-huh it's all undertale oh Lots of Undertale stuff, along with Hollow Knight and Stardew Valley, and that kind of thing. the The real indie darlings to emerge out of this generation.
1: Yes. yes. And uh, I have to say, just to, as an aside, fan gamer stuff is just so goddamn good. Yeah, fan gamer
0: stuff is really good. I ended up getting a really nice illustrated Stardew Valley a guidebook.
1: Yes, I saw that. It's really, it's really nice. And and their clothing. I saw your the Celeste hoodie that you bought. Uh, I ended up returning it. Did you really? Didn't fit very Aww. well. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. It seemed really nice. It was it was uh,
0: nice. It was comfortable, but I think it needed to be just a hair smaller, actually.
1: Oh, but the big boofy hoodies are fun.
0: Yeah, they're fun, but they just look awkward on me, so I ultimately <laughs> decided not to go with it. That's fair. Yeah. But yeah, no, I, I think Undertale is would be a solid and interesting choice for this list. Uh, as as RPGs go, i I don't know if you does I suppose it's an RPG. Uh it's yeah, it's it unconventional, that's for sure. It's definitely a take on Dragon Quest, but there's yeah, kind of a weird puzzle-solving aspect to it. No, it's actually bullet hell. Mm-hmm. Um, believe that's what I not, mean, yeah. but, like, there's a bullet hell aspect to it, but when I say pu- puzzle-solving, I mean, like, picking the right dialogue.
1: Yeah, because you're talking about three routes. You're talking about the uh, pacifist route. You're talking about the neutral route, which has which branches off into, like, basically over a dozen of its known endings, and you have the genocide route, which is... Toby Fox really pulls a fast one on you because to complete the genocide route, you kind of have to, like, kill all these characters you've, you've come to love. And uh, some of them just, like, go down in one hit and it's really devastating. And then there's the ones like Undyne and Sans, of course, who, who will just frickin' massacre you if you don't know what you're doing. And I couldn't finish Genocide for two reasons. Number one, it was screwing me up emotionally. Number two, I could not get past Undyne. And... I just kind of gave up but uh, I did look up the endings on YouTube and just uh, some of the stuff that happens in that genocide ending it, it is really really screwed up and just really like wow
0: yeah he really wants to have a general commentary on
1: games right he wants yeah uh, to be a commentary on games
0: and it's yeah effective.
1: And it, is a, it is very effective I will admit is on the nose sometimes but again earthbound's a bit like that too so, I, I can't really begrudge him for that, but uh, I would definitely easily include it as like a, an honorable mention in our list,
0: yeah, I, I could see it being an honorable mention um and potentially being on there and uh, in terms of another game that uh, is of interest that kind of a defining game of a generation, I suppose uh Dark Souls, yeah, of course, yeah. Yeah, no, that's, that's a tough one for me um, because obviously I have a huge amount of respect for Dark Souls. I think it was uh-huh. the best game of that particular console generation, uh, kind of completely redefined from software as we know it. And it definitely right. has a lot of strong RPG elements. I mean, okay, this is going to sound really gross, and it is, but when Sekiro <laughs> came out, um, all uh, there were a lot of people on the message boards being like, Oh, uh, Sekiro is the the game that is exposing all the frauds. <laughs> oh, all the people no. are like, oh, I've beaten all the Dark Souls games. Oh, but how did you beat Dark Souls? Oh, you summoned in people to come help you. Oh. And you grinded uh, tons and tons of souls and made yourself extremely OP and also had the ultimate death sword of Doom and were using the, the most OP swords. Uh, congratulations on beating Dark Souls. Which I don't care. <laughs> you know, Dark Souls <laughs> is such a great experience. I think that even if you mess around with mechanics, which I definitely did, <laughs> I used Of course. I used yeah. the Dark Sword in Of course. Uh Dark Souls three and I have no regrets about it. Because I just wanted to get through it, gosh darn it.
1: <laughs> well, of course. And uh you know, every time a from software game comes out, there's this reignited debate over should like, you know, easy modes in games be more uh, prevalent for accessibility reasons. Yeah. So every time uh, a new from software game comes out, there's always this like you know big debate reignited about accessibility in games, and I feel like uh, there's just no real one right way to play a game like Dark Souls, like we are seeing here, because now you have people, as you say, who are like pointing to Sekiro and saying, "Oh, this is the real way to finish the game." You know, if you use help of any kind in Dark Souls, if you use the OP weapons, then you're not you're not doing it right. And it's like, well, okay, if you're going to have this argument, where does it stop? I mean, like, if you're if you're so adamant against, like, having, you know, quote-unquote easy modes and whatnot, it just seems like such a pitiful kind of topic to me.
0: Yeah, it's just, you know, chest beating. Very much. It very much is. Yeah. Ook, ook. I am a better gamer than you. There's a strong gatekeeping aspect to it. Very, uh, very strong. You don't get to be part of, like, this cool game that I have here. It's, yeah, it's pathetic, but... The the upshot of all that is, uh, it's a time-honored tradition to grind to the point where you can easily be content in in an RPG, right?
1: (laughs) Oh, absolutely. 100%. I still do it. Yeah, but
0: I I guess ultimately I didn't put Dark Souls on here because I saw it, even though it has such strong classical uh, dungeon-crawling hooks, and uh, it draws hugely from the dungeon-crawling or the role-playing tradition, I Uh just see it as an action game. (laughs)
1: I kind of do, too, to be honest with you. I played it myself uh, for the first time when the remaster came out, and I I enjoyed it, but I was like, well, it strikes me more as an action game. I don't think about it when I think of my top whatever RPGs at all.
0: Yeah, like, games on here, on this list, like Fallout New Vegas and and Witcher 3 are, you know, they're RPGs, or they're action RPGs, but the role-playing aspect, the, the story and the decisions and everything are kind of paramount. They, the the action, I, I want to say, takes a back seat to those elements. Yeah, I agree. Whereas Dark Souls, so much of the appeal of it is how good the action mechanics are in fighting the giant bosses and everything. And the story yeah. is really minimalist. I mean, it's, it is. it's cool. The story is it's really great. cool. And there's tons of interesting it. lore to it and everything. Uh, but I, I don't know. Like, when a game makes no qualms about prioritizing a certain aspect of it like i I look at destiny right destiny's a shooter (laughs) that's nothing wrong with that yeah it's a shooter it has loot it borrows hugely from the rpg tradition and uh why do we need labels or whatever but i guess when i was trying to make this list i was kind of thinking to myself well i want to the game's on here I didn't want to have any doubt about the games that I was putting on. Right, right,
1: exactly. So I would see why uh, Dark Souls would be removed from that list. But it's, it's a fine candidate for this list.
0: Yeah, when I was talking, I was talking to somebody and I think I said along the line, they were like, is it an RPG? Like, whatever game we were talking about. And I was making an argument for it. And then I paused and I was like, well, if you have to ask, maybe it isn't an RPG.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's fair, I think. But that's such a stupid
0: argument anyway, because whatever, games are games genres bleed into one another they really do more than ever don't necessarily mean anything etc etc like if you put Dark Souls onto your RPG list I'd be like okay cool for this particular list I wanted to be like let's, let's keep it mostly traditional okay Nadia you said you're a Final Fantasy 4 supporter right yes I am okay so why sh-
1: do you think it should be on this list on the honorable mentions or the top
0: 25 top 25 do you think it should be there no it should not okay why not
1: uh, because, um, much as I love Final Fantasy IV, and much as I respect what it did for the genre, and I'd still even probably give it a recommendation if someone asked me, I just feel like it has been surpassed several times over by several other games in, in the franchise. And again, if someone came up to me and said, hey, Nadia, which Final Fantasy should I try out? Um, I probably wouldn't say, hey, start with four, because it's just not a good answer. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I, I think if somebody came up to me and said which Final Fantasy should I play first, I'd say play six.
1: <laughs> yeah, I'd play I'd say play six or hey, they tell me, Oh, I'm really into the job system in Final Fantasy fourteen, you know, I'd say, Hey, why not go back and give I five love a try?
0: Extremely stats driven, crunchy RPGs with lots of grinding. What should I play? How about five? <laughs> five, by all means, go for it, man. Yeah, five has held up and stood the test of time better than Final Fantasy Four, I wanna say.
1: Uh, yeah, I would say so. Just uh, the mechanics it's built on have really, by themselves, have stood the test of time. Even if the story isn't as good as, well, I wouldn't even say it's uh, Final Fantasy IV's uh, story is that great, but I don't think either think- of them have good stories. <laughs> no, and of course, Final Fantasy four on the SNES has such a terrible translation anyway, uh, and the. Get the version of the game other than complete collection, which does have a a good translation and is very easy to get, is the DS version, which is, again, I would not say play that game unless you have played Final Fantasy IV, you know, the original and like it. It's a very confusing state of affairs for Final Fantasy IV we have going on here. Do you, why do you
0: like Final Fantasy IV still? Why are you a supporter?
1: Uh, I'm still nostalgic for it. I like the characters. I do like the simplicity. I do like the game does all the thinking for me. Here, here is your party don't like it, go screw it because it's all you're getting for now. Good soundtrack, um, too. Good soundtrack, great soundtrack. Um, uh, if you play it on the Complete Collection, the sprite work is really nice. It's just a good feeling that, that, to go back and play that game once in a while. And that's just, a lot of it is nostalgia. And there, I do kind of like um, the end game. A lot of people hate the end game where you, like, plunge forever into the moon. But I do love how you go into the moon, like, totally unprepared to, to take on uh Zimas, but by the time you get to the bottom floor of that fiasco you're just like a bunch of supermen and superwomen i think that's i just really love that feeling
0: what's your take on final fantasy
1: tactics it, i mean i i was never huge into it but i never re- like i had it's been a very long time since i played it so i should i should really give it another shot uh, because i know again it's a really really respected entry in the series uh for really good reason I know we we kind of left it off the list, but uh, I I don't know if you had a reason for that in particular.
0: Um, I picked Tactics Ogre because I like right. the fact that you have story choices. I think right. I like the fact that you have a lot more characters. I think that Tactics Ogre: Let Us Cling Together for PSP is a much better definitive edition than pretty much anything that Tactics Final Fantasy Tactics is able mm. to put out. And maybe the only thing that Final Fantasy Tactics has over Tactics Ogre is the The fact that you can break the game into a a thousand (laughs) pieces is like it's completely ridiculous in that way. A shout out Uh to our mutual friend Shivam, who so we did a Final Fantasy Tactics episode of Retronauts just not too long ago. It's not out yet. Uh I don't know when it's coming out. For all you know, it'll be out from six months from now. But probably. um, Shivam had the guidebook for Final Fantasy Tactics there, like the original Prima Games guidebook. Oh, beautiful. Oh, that must have been so fun. And his eyes would just light up and he'd grab it and he'd start flipping through it. And he'd be like, and then he would throw out this uh, particular build that he recalled from Final Fantasy Tactics that he loved Uh that was completely ridiculous. And he said he'd (laughs) put like thousands of hours into Final Fantasy Tactics. And I was just like, man, you're like a maniac for this game. (laughs) That's
1: Yeah, when he's like a maniac for a game, he's a maniac, but it's a lot of fun when he is.
0: I don't I think he said he's never actually beaten it. Really? Yeah, cuz he can those... he can dea- He can't deal with beating it because then the game would be over and that would be that.
1: I I understand that feeling very very strongly. That's why I will never beat Skyrim. Yeah, um there have been a lot of games I just haven't beaten because I can't deal with the ending. Like I'm just still kind of pausing on Red Dead Redemption 2 because I don't really want to finish it.
0: Yeah, finishing is like being dead. It is, isn't it? Yeah, cuz then the world's over. The story's finished. It's time to move on. And you're like, okay. I want to move on. I can start, I can start over, start. I guess. I don't want to start over. I like this game. I want to start over. Yeah. But now there's too much other entertainment. Anyway, Final Fantasy Tactics was a, a really interesting take on the, the job system. I, I think it's certainly the more beloved and maybe even the more impactful of the two. I mean, people remember certainly remember Final Fantasy Tactics over Tactics Ogre. But it's not about right. influence, Nadia. It's about no, it is picking not. the best RPG. I think it Tactics Ogre is a better RPG than Final Fantasy Tactics. If you ever played it, I recommend go trying it out. It's really awesome. It's a different flavor from Final Fantasy Tactics, but it's really good by itself. And I think it does a lot right.
1: Yeah, it's definitely on my to-do pile.
0: Yeah, and go listen to the episode in which we talk about it if you don't remember it. So, uh, so uh, I mean, we could talk about a million games in Square's catalog, right? I mean, Final Fantasy oh, yeah. ten. Uh, Final Fantasy Nine. Oh, I feel like we've talked a fair amount of Final Fantasy Nine, uh, Xeno Gears, Xeno Gears,
1: um, uh, Secret of Mana. Mm.
0: Yeah, Secret of Mana is a
1: big one. Yeah, there is a reason why it's on the SNES Classic.
0: Yeah, it kind of helped uh, to define a lot of action RPGs. It did. Yeah,
1: um, because Zelda was like kind of a precursor to it, of course. But kind of uh, bored
0: me though. It was... Did it really? Yeah, got kind of tired of it really fast.
1: Try it. Ah, I, well, I put
0: that's... a. I put a real like a real effort into playing that one and finishing it, but I only got about uh-huh. halfway through before I just kind of got sick of it. Yeah, close enough. It was really awesome for the time. It's it's still all right. It's a decent co-op RPG, but like actually fighting the bosses wasn't that fun.
1: I really wish they'd done a better job with the, uh, the PlayStation 4 remake they had coming out and just, you know, because it had some good ideas and one of them was like they overhauled the bosses to be a lot more fun, but uh, then there was everything else. But yeah, the... The bosses in the original Secret of Mana, um, if you don't have if if you don't grind to level up your magic sufficiently, you will probably die.
0: Man, I got completely annihilated by the bosses in that game, <laughs> especially yeah, one of the I'm early
1: ones, the the tiger thing. Oh, that goddamn tiger! Yeah, they totally nerfed the tiger in the remake.
0: That's good because uh, it is.
1: Emily and I were like, "Oh my god, what is going on with this tiger guy?" <laughs> yeah, he's an asshole.
0: He is an asshole. So, yeah, uh, somebody mentioned uh, and they were a little sad that Xenoblade Chronicles 1 wasn't on this list.
1: I would easily include uh, Xenoblade Chronicles 2 over... um, I loved 1, but I just feel like 2 is bigger. It takes the original game's vision and just makes it bigger with more quests. The only thing I'd say is a little worse is the character designs. I would recommend Uh,
0: Xenoblade Chronicles 1 over 2. Would you really? Yeah, because 2 is... Well, first of all, I don't like the characters of two. Second of all, I think that the battle system of one is tighter and more interesting. Uh, The Kasha element is okay, I guess, but Uh I think I just preferred the... the, I I preferred how focused the battle system in the original Xenoblade Chronicles was. I liked how when you were fighting the different bosses and everything, that uh, being able to do damage was highly dependent on... What uh weapons you were particularly using, and so mm-hmm. it required you to kind of mix and match the different characters. I l- I liked the the I thought the robots that you were fighting were cool. I I thought it was very yeah, weird that you cool. were on like the shoulders of giants. uh I would love that game to be on Switch, actually.
1: No, sure. I, I I'd play it. I'd play the hell of it, it. was on Switch. It came out on 3DS uh, and it was
0: not good on 3DS.
1: No, the 3DS, and I had the new 3DS, it just, it really struggled with that game. I I didn't like the guy with the squeaky voice in Xenoblade Chronicles 2. Oh, uh, Tora? Yeah, I didn't like that guy. Well, all nopons suck. I mean, there's tons of nopons in the first one, too. Yeah, I don't like them. And him. in Xenoblade Chronicles X. Yeah, they're assholes. Like, they're just like, I'm saying assholes a lot, I'm tired, I'm sorry. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, I think, like, Xeno, uh sorry, uh, Monolith Soft is trying very hard to make them, like, you know, beloved, and it's just like, I, 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 sorry, I don't like them you know go buy little plush toys like Ewoks I'm not going to sorry like you know a cool mascot is like Jack Frost in Persona he's like you know vicious who'd, he'd kill you as soon as like you know he'd shake your hand but uh yeah they just try a little bit too hard with the uh the no pawns yeah Xenoblade
0: Chronicles is good but I definitely see it as a second tier RPG
1: I yeah I'm I wouldn't have put it on the the top 25 list again it's it's a series I love very much. And we talked in the last episode how much the uh, the soundtrack in Xenoblade Chronicles 2 is just mind-blowing. But, uh, yeah, I would... Um, it's a, sometimes, like, the fact that it's experimental get makes it, like, kind of a little bit difficult to enjoy at times. Uh, it's
0: experimental-ish. I, remember- I mean, uh, it's hard to really sort out where it's going i guess it plays yeah yeah. you want i was talking about how i wanted turn-based games rpgs in like kind of a blockbuster context that's about as close as we're gonna get
1: yeah probably
0: yeah eh, it's fine uh, i think the story it's weird uh, given the the heritage that it has and its connections to xenogears that the story isn't really ambitious at all it might even be its worst part
1: yeah it is kind of funny because yeah you're right uh uh, Xeno Gears had like just the most like, for its time, which was like, "Wow, what the hell? Well, what are they doing with this story? This is crazy."
0: Yeah, I don't want to dunk on Xenoblade Chronicles too much because I I do enjoy the first one quite a bit, but I guess mm. I see I it. them both. I see it as maybe a half step above the Tales series. Which I also yeah, I, see as a
1: second tier RPG, which a lot of people love those games for various reasons. See, I've never really the the only Tales game I, I really played was uh, Fantasia, like on the SNES. I I played a
0: few of them uh, over the years. Uh, I played Vesperia and that kind of thing, and yeah, I mean it didn't really stand out to me ultimately. <laughs> okay, uh, so a few more games that ultimately. Did not make the list? Um, and we talked. We briefly mentioned the Trails series, uh, Trails in the Sky. I did. I did actually play for a while, but it didn't hold my interest that much. Uh, I know that people really advocate for it, and it's out on Steam, and I, I recommend it. Um, I'm still waiting for somebody to really truly make the case for it. Uh, the best I can see is that it has a great story, is what it comes down uh-huh. to. Yeah. Uh, The battle system is okay, uh, but people really enjoy all of the political intrigue and uh, the different characters and everything like they were really getting into it, despite the, you know, relatively low production values and all of that. Yeah, I know that we had Jason Schreier on X number of years ago and he 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 made an extensive case for it. So maybe go listen to that episode.
1: Yeah, I was gonna say someone uh, someone sell cat on this. I guess if, unless people have already tried and they've all failed.
0: Uh, it seems like a kind of game you would like, but maybe you should just play Trails of Cold Steel instead.
1: Yeah, that's uh, yeah, that's my plan.
0: Yeah, okay, and
1: then also Ultima Underworld. Are you familiar with this one, Nadia? I am actually. I haven't played it myself, but it is a a very unique RPG for its time. That's uh, extremely influential.
0: Yeah, really cool take on the uh, on the dungeon crawler. <laughs> yes, and uh, I mean I it tells you what things were like back in the 19, early 90s, that it was a big deal, that you could look up <laughs> <Yes>. and down. <laughs> Advancement. But it was really cool to be able... Uh, it, it had a lot of influence on games like Bioshock and System Shock and those kinds of games. And yeah, yeah. And being able to gather up items and use them in interesting ways uh, that they were trying to have this kind of emergent experience in the way that you played these games is kind of interesting, I suppose. Um, I... I didn't put it on the list because I felt like Ultima 7 was kind of the greatest example of Ultima, mm-hmm. and maybe Ultima Underworld 2, Like, it's hard for me to be like, oh yeah, this game totally holds up, it's really old, <laughs> <laughs> and you really have to put yourself in the mindset to be able to play it, but go to it.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's definitely one of those games where I very it's much very appreciate the legacy yeah, but looking back at it, I'm like, uh, I think I'd rather go play Final Fantasy VI for the billionth time.
0: But at the same time, like, you know, it's not necessarily always about like, oh, is this game extremely accessible? Right? I mean, right, Some games. I mean, if you look at a game like Vampire of the Masquerade, for example,
1: I they got to be fun to play. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, no, and, uh, I don't w- agree.
0: Actually, that the, I, I think t- the t- saying "Is this game a fun? Is this game fun to play?" is a kind of metric. That puts you in a weird headspace as the way that you judge a game, because
1: well, maybe. But like, if, does a game want to make you like kill yourself? Like, <laughs> does a
0: game make you want to kill yourself? Well, I don't think this game makes you want to kill yourself. It's just old. Sometimes old games make you want to do that. Okay. Well, I guess uh, <laughs> I guess you just have to turn in your retro gamer card, Nadia. Oh, I'm sorry. Are there any other games that you want to highlight that shouldn't have been on, that should have been on this list?
1: I actually wrote down a few. Okay. Uh, let's see here. Um, I wanted to give a shout out to Paper Mario: The Thousand Year Door, which is the best uh, Mario RPG ever. Don't at me. Uh, okay. Why? Uh, because um, Paper Mario: The Thousand Year Door is uh number one. It has you wouldn't believe it, but it just has like one of the best stories that I ever played in an RPG. It has one of the best localizations. Is hilarious as hell. Uh, you get to the town of Rogueport and you see like all this crazy stuff, like you know, like a chalk outline of a toad's body.
0: <laughs>
1: hilarious. <laughs> it's- <laughs> and you see like Gallows in the in the center of the town is like, "Oh, well, I've got." So you're I'm saying I'm this far. game is really dark. It uh, is is very darkly humorous for a Mario game. Uh but outside of that, it looks really good still. Like I could easily play this game now and, you know, not be offended by it. The soundtrack is great. It gets memed um, a lot. What's that? It gets memed a lot. It does get memed a lot, and there's a good reason for that. The characters like it has like one of the best uh supporting casts I think of any RPG ever. Uh, you have, like, I love the fact that Mario teams up with, like, you know, enemies. Like, he teams up with a Koopa named Koops. He teams up with Goombella, Goomba. Uh, he teams up with, uh, you know, not an enemy, but, like, a baby Yoshi, who's, like, kind of a punk. Uh, his, um, the battle system is very simple but very compelling. It is very action-based the way that Mario and Luigi is, except, uh, much more simple. I do like Mario and Luigi's battle system, especially in Bowser's Inside Story, but, Kind of volleying things between the two brothers can get quite complicated. Uh, with Thousand Year Door, it's a little more uh, traditional. You have yourself and you have your party member who helps you out uh, and you can use his skills to support you. Uh, the paper aspect of the game is implemented in interesting ways. Like if Mario needs to cross a gap, he can turn himself into a little paper airplane and float around. Um, Princess Peach is in the game and she has this really interesting, uh, you know, subplot involving a, a kind of HAL like computer. It's just a really, really fun experience all around. And there's a reason, if there's any reason why people curse Miyamoto, is because they say he ruined the, the uh, Paper Mario games, which I don't fully agree with. But I do agree that he kind of put out the call to nerf the story in the next game, which was, I think, Sticker Star. And that rubbed a lot of people the wrong way because the story was so strong in, in Thousand Year Door.
0: One more game that I want to throw out as an honorable mention is Neverwinter Nights. Which uh, came very close. To, uh, it was on this list a few times and then got pushed off and then it was on and then it got pushed off. Huh. I think Neverwinter Nights is certainly like right up there with mm-hmm. Bioware's uh, catalog. Or not Bioware, whomever. Uh, it's certainly right up there um, in that particular era, right? And Right, the thing that really worked for Neverwinter Nights and Neverwinter Nights 2 was that it was really ambitious in the way that you could design uh, different um, uh, different quest lines and that kind of thing. Uh, it had multiplayer. It was also extremely, like so many of the games on this list, it was also crazy buggy.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. To the point of being yeah. like
0: completely broken. But Ooh. I always thought it was interesting that Bioware, like one of the ways that, you could like essentially turn in an, a portfolio for becoming a writer over at Bioware was to make a quest line of Neverwinter Nights two and just pass it in.
1: Oh, that's very interesting. Yeah. and that's a that's a D and D based game, right? Is
0: a D and D based game. Yeah, it still has a
1: a very large following,
0: and I would even possibly consider putting it at like number twenty six on this list. Yeah.
1: And so it would just barely got edged out of the club. There. Maybe just barely got
0: edged out. Uh, it it has a very good legacy, but uh, maybe I would take the twenty five games that we have on here already. Um, just just a hair over Neverwinter Nights too. Still an excellent RPG. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyway, uh, do you have an RPG that you think that we missed? I, I'd be curious to hear what you think it is. Um, I have Lunar on this list. Um, it's a series that I don't know extremely well i passed over yeah. it more than a few times when it was in the bargain bin because it always seemed to be oh. there uh with the really? with the playstation uh, yeah the silver Star. that's
1: like yeah it's so in demand now like mm. uh that's that's kind of crazy that's but, hilarious because uh, i saw
0: it all the time
1: i was like see i never had a sega cd and that was one thing it was definitely one of those series i always wanted to play but i never got around to it um, I by the time I wanted to, by the time I even thought of breaking it, get it from my PlayStation, it was already like a billion dollars, and I said, "Well, well, there goes that." Um, but I played the DS one, which I'm told is terrible, and it was terrible. So <laughs> it might be <laughs> the best RPG on the Sega CD, though. Oh yeah, absolutely, and it was like so novel at the time to see like these. Uh, uh, anime scenes where like characters singing and whatnot, and they look back at them now and they're like, oh, that did not age well, uh, but at the, the time one's it was cute. Nocturne
0: cool. was cute. No, it's, I mean, it's very anime, but at the time it's, it was awesome.
1: At the time, yeah, very much at the time.
0: All right. If you want to share the RPGs that you thought should have been on the top 25 RPG list, send me a note at catoutbailey at usgamer.net or also send me a DM. Okay, let's get on to the mailbag. Okay, those were the honorable mentions of the game RPGs that need to be on the top 25 RPG list. I'm probably missing a few, but I, I'm sure that you have a whole bunch you want to add. In the meantime, we got comments from people who want to talk a little bit about the games that actually did make the list. Sammy J 9 says, Chrono Trigger is absolutely deserving of the number one sport spot for all the reasons you mentioned. But one of the things uh, about it that is often overlooked, pacing. Chrono Trigger is one of the best mm-hmm. paced games ever made. You've pulled through the plot at the perfect speed, with each and every new thing you discover of time period you go to is an absolute delight somehow in managing to never feel too brief or too long. And the game only being around 20 hours probably helps that. I have nothing against long games, but Chrono Trigger just feels perfect in how it nails speed and pacing.
1: It really does, and I think one thing that I can attribute to that is, uh, going, thinking back to when I played it, I don't recall a time when I actually had to just stop and grind. Uh, it just seems like wherever you were and however you fought, that had you covered.
0: They also add, uh, the only game I'd put on it that didn't make it is Xenoblade Chronicles. It's a personal favorite. And can I gloat a little and say I nailed, like, the top 12 games several months ago, minus Ultima 7? Did I win a cookie? Anyways, I can't wait to yes. see what you decide to do next. Yes, you do win a cookie. I'll send it in the mail. to send me J9. Just send me your address.
1: It gets bad. I, I there's all stale and nasty.
0: No, then I'm not going to send you a cookie. Uh, Pancras says regarding the comments someone made a few episodes regarding Final Fantasy 7 to the band Nirvana to make the point that FF7 should have been included in this top 25 list as well I must say that a, par- a better parallel would be comparing Nirvana to Square, as at that level mm. you'd be comparing two creators, not a creator and a creation. And in that case, Square has multiple entries on this list. Kudos for not putting FF7 on this list, as its inclusion exclusion made everything much more interesting. Not that I think a Fire Emblem game should have replaced any of these Tony 5 but as a fan, I'm curious if an FE game was ever even considered which one. Uh, I would say probably Thrasia776 would be the Fire Emblem game that I would seriously consider possibly Fire Emblem Conquest. Uh, so yeah, um, Fire Emblem, oh man, that's another tough one. I I think it's really great in classic uh, turn-based game, but it's so heavy on tactics and so light on actual role-playing that it's hard for me to put it on this list necessarily.
1: Yeah, I agree with that. Um, if I did, though, I'd, I'd be like the real scrub and I'd include Awakening.
0: Uh, Molo Ram says, thank you for not choosing something like Dark Souls. I thought it was going to be that until I read that Chrono Trigger hadn't been mentioned yet. So yeah, good choice. I would have found the best soundtrack question super difficult. I probably would have gone for FF6 also, but so many recent games like Xenoblade and Octopath Traveler have amazing soundtracks. I could listen to the second Octopath Traveler battle theme also. And I loved Nadia's choice of quintet for best developer. I still think that (laughs) Terra should have made the pantheon of great RPGs if only more people had gotten the chance to play it.
1: Yeah, the Quintet is like one of the biggest tragedies of our time. And then
0: Max Bebo has a list of like 5 billion uh, categories. Do you want to hear a few of them? Sure. So they have Best RPG Hero Jude from Tales of Exilia. Best Mm -hmm. Villain Kafka. Best RPG Mm -hmm. Quest Lair of the Shadow Broker from Mass Effect 2 is a good choice. Best RPG Developer Spiderweb Software for Pure Perseverance. (laughs) <laughs> Best dialogue system, Alpha Protocol. Well, that's an interesting choice. Uh, that's the Spy game. Oh. Uh, that was designed by, God, who made that one? Oh, Obsidian, right? Yeah, they totally made Alpha Protocol. Uh, art design, Persona 5, turn-based combat, Chrono Trigger. Action combat, Dragon's Dogma, Dark Arisen. I like that choice. That's a good one. Best cast, hmm. Tales of Exilia. Hmm. Yeah, that's an interesting choice. I don't care for Exilia exactly, <laughs> but I know a lot of yeah. people really like that one. Best victory yeah, theme, yeah. what do you think they picked? Oh, uh, Final Fantasy? Final Fantasy VII.
1: But then the best level-up
0: theme is Final Fantasy XII.
1: Hmm, <laughs> that's a good
0: point. Yeah, I like that. Best RPG developer did their best despite a ridiculous publisher deadline. Star Wars, the Knights of the Old Republic too. <laughs> yes, <Yeah>, that's true. <laughs> best world, Thetis from Dragon Age series. Runner-up, Ivalice. Uh I think evil is is the a good one.
1: I think so. Elise has its shit together. I really like Ivelisse. I don't
0: care for the Dragon Age world. Best RPG pet. Uh, I think that's one that we. Have we done this episode yet? We should do that one.
1: No, that would be a good episode. I would enjoy that episode. The dog from Dragon Age Origins. It's got to be dog Mm. meat from Fallout, right? No, I was going to go with the saber kitten. All right.
0: I'd be curious to know if you guys have any of your own categories. Leave a comment. In the meantime, Axe of Blood God is a U.S. camera podcast. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, wherever podcasts are sold. You have all of the information that I've repeated 5 billion times, but make sure that you <laughs> subscribe to my Twitter on the underscore cap at and Nadia's at Nadia Oxford. Subscribe to our newsletters. Follow all of the social media for US Gamer. I'm not going to be here next week, but we are going to run an episode. Our old buddy, Anthony Agnello, is going to be taking over next week's episode. Yes, so. it is going to be chaos. Nadia and Anthony always have way too much fun and it's a total party, so please look forward to that but in the meantime i'm i'm going to spain so screw y'all yes have fun i'm out of here
1: (laughs) screw y'all i'm going to spain Uh,
0: maybe i'll talk about some super robot wars tea when i get back this episode somehow went 90 minutes again which is ridiculous but until then for nodding myself thanks for listening and until next time for episode 202 thanks for listening happy adventuring